Gospel means good news. And sometimes Christians forget that it's good news. Or sometimes we're tempted to believe those who say that it isn't good news. And some of you aren't convinced that it's good news. You're, you're here, you're, you're looking in, you're exploring a bit, uh, but you, you haven't thought that it's good enough news that you're going to follow Jesus uh, and do what um, others around here are doing. You're like, maybe average news or news of some interest. I'm not convinced it's good news yet. Well, we want to show everyone that Jesus was right and that it is good news. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at some of the things that God has done through Jesus. And there are all sorts of those that are described in God's Word. And we're going to look at some of them that are particularly described by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. We are going to be looking at adoption and grace and salvation and redemption and righteousness and justification. And you may not even know what those words mean, but they are really, really big deals. They are wonderful truths, and the more you understand of them, the more you will appreciate God's love and his goodness and his kindness. And the more we as Christians understand and appreciate that, the more we ought to be confident in sharing with other people the good news. Not like, I've got something to tell you, you won't like it, I'm not sure if I like it, but let's just get on with this. That's not what Christianity and telling people about Jesus is all about. It's the complete opposite. It's like, The most amazing thing has happened. This is such good news. I need to share it with you. And so we want our new preaching series uh, that we're calling All Good um, to help with that. And we want to help as well as you, if you're here, you're not Christian. What is this all about? Well, hopefully this will make it a bit more clearer um, for you. And today we're going to be focusing on adoption. And this is mentioned a few times in the New Testament. And the passage we're going to focus on is in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, where Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. Why don't we pray that we would really hear it, understand it, be transformed by it today. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you brought good news. Father, we thank you. You are a good, good Father. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you are here amongst us right now, that we might know this more than we currently do, that we might be more alive to it, uh, more aware, more thrilled. Lord, that can only happen if you're at work in us. And so we, we, we just place ourselves before you and ask you to have your way. We say we need you, Holy Spirit. Uh, to give me the right words to say and to give all of us ears to hear and hearts to understand. So be with us in this moment, God, we pray. Amen. Amen. So adoption is part of my family's story and is part of the story of my wider family and some of my friends as well, uh, as well as several other people here at King's. It might be something you've experienced, might just be something that you're kind of, you've thought about from time to time. 
And what Paul means by adoption isn't necessarily the same as what most of us here would understand. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get clear on what he does mean. And then we're going to look at some of the consequences of it. And I'm really hoping that as we do this, in fact, I'm believing as we do this, that God is going to give to certain people here greater certainty of who they are and of how God relates to them and what he wants to do with them. And if you aren't a believer, I hope you're going to see that this really is good news. This really is something that you're going to say, I want this to be true for me. I'm going to step towards God. So there's not much that's directly said about adoption in the Old Testament. And even God being the father of his people isn't a dominant theme. But when Jesus comes, he changes all of that. He takes what's kind of implied and hinted at, and then he brings it right to the forefront because of how he relates to God. Every time Jesus speaks directly to God, except once, he calls God Father. And God identifies Jesus as my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus demonstrates to us the rights and responsibilities of sonship. He has this beautifully intimate relationship uh, with God that's full of trust and mutual delight. Jesus is always like, where is he gone? He's like, oh, he's being off with his father again. Wow, he really loves spending time with his father, doesn't he? Yeah, he really, really does. And what does Jesus do? He says, I only do what I see the father doing. I'm following him. I'm doing what he has called me to do. He obeys his father in everything. They're a perfect team. And Jesus reveals that part of the father and the son's plan is for many others to have this same loving relationship too. John 1 verses 12 to 13 say, To all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. By living a life of perfect sonship for us, and then dying like a cursed enemy to take the punishment that we deserve, we can be reconciled to God through Jesus. God can deal in Jesus with all the things that would stop this from happening and then bring us into a wholly new kind of relationship with him. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says that Jesus brings many sons to glory. And his followers taught this, that the amazing climax, that all of what God has done for us in Christ is that God will adopt his people as his children. And so Paul talks about this in several places, and he uses this word adoption, and he would have had in mind, his readers would have had in mind, the Roman system of adoption, which is a bit different to ours. Principal difference is that most of those who were adopted in the Roman system were usually adults, because the purpose was to legally identify the person who was going to inherit the family's estate and business and interests. And because it was always sons who inherited in Roman culture, Paul uses the title sons for both men and women, both male and female believers. He says in Galatians uh, 4, 26 and 28, he says, you're all sons of God, male or female. Why is that? Because this son position is a position of inheritance and receiving what belongs to the family. So an expert on this says that the profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and was placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. Also, any old debts from the previous family were cancelled 
And in effect, the adoptee started a new life as part of his new family. So Paul is saying that by adopting us, God has totally changed who we are and how we relate to him and what the future holds for us. So we're just going to read this passage again with a bit more understanding, therefore, of of what that means. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself, witnesses with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Whenever anyone is adopted, their life changes. And we're going to look today at what Paul says changes for someone when they are adopted by God. We're going to look at this in terms of assurance and access and action. So firstly, assurance. Who am I? One of the biggest questions of life. And whether we think the answer is up to us to find it, or we accept what other people say to us, that we're defined by kind of our our society or our family or whatever. However we come to the answer, what we think this answer is impacts how we do pretty much everything. Now, Christians are not defined by who they think they are or by who other people tell them who they are, but by who God says they are. So look how often Paul mentions identity in these few lines. He says that those who belong to Jesus are sons of God, who received the spirit of adoption as sons. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul's really clear on this aspect of identity for Christians. God wants us to be certain that we are his beloved children. And what adoption means and implies really helps us with this. Another adoption passage, Ephesians 1, tells us some more about this. He says, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Adoption is really helpful in in us understanding this because adoption isn't something that you choose to do. Adoption is something that happens to you, not something that you achieve. It wasn't your decision. Paul says regarding Christian adoption that it happened before the foundation of the world. So you really weren't involved. It wasn't a mistake. It was the purpose of his will. There may be accidental birth kids. There are no accidental adoptions. There are just too many forms to fill in. It wasn't reluctant. It was God's free choice. He hadn't even made us at this point. He was under no obligation to do this. And yet, he said, this is what I'm going to do. He and the son said, this is what we are going to do. It wasn't your accomplishment. It was what Jesus did. Paul says adoption through Jesus Christ. And this makes us realize another thing, which is that it is costly. Because adoption is costly. And it doesn't depend on you, which really is just as well. As J.I. Packer puts it, God adopts us out of his free love, not 
because our character and record shows us worthy to bear his name, but despite the fact that they show the opposite. We are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. And yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. It was his decision. It was his plan. It was his delight. It was his accomplishment. It's because of his Love. And to add to our assurance about this, the Father and Son send their spirit to us, which even in and of itself is really, is like it's reassuring, as it were. We're assured of his desire to assure us because he isn't like, I'm going to send you my word, which is perfect and life-giving. Yes, and I'm going to send you my spirit because I really want you to know this. I'm not content to be like, I think they'll work it out. That's not what God does. The Father and Son say, let's send the Spirit, the very loving relationship between us, let's send him to be with them, that they might know this. And so we receive the Spirit of adoption as sons. What does he do? Well, he's really free to do whatever he likes. Jesus says elsewhere, the Spirit blows where he likes, does what he wants. But some of the things that he does, and that we believe that he can do, is that he can work directly with our thoughts and our emotions. He can cause a rise of of certainty and love and thankfulness in us that is more than just us. Paul says the Spirit testifies with our spirit. It's this sense of combination. The Spirit comes and says, this is really true for you. Or you're not even thinking about it, and suddenly you just know that you are loved by God. He gave us the Scriptures that we're looking at. Even as you're hearing these things, if you're just hearing that sense inside you of someone just saying, yes. Where did that come from? Yes, that is true. Yes, that's true for you. That's the spirit at work. An old Puritan called uh, Thomas Godwin talked about a father and their child going for a walk. And he said, the father and child are walking hand in hand. Child knows that they're loved by the father. And then suddenly the father just whisks them up into their arms and just kisses them and just tells them, I love you, I love you, swings them around, swings them around, just does all sorts of things that the child's like, this is amazing, I'm really loved. And Godwin says, this is This is kind of what can happen in these moments when the Spirit particularly comes upon us and we know this spirit of adoption. That's why Paul says we cry out, Abba, Father. We don't, the spirit of adoption comes upon us and we think, sure, okay. Ah, that makes sense. There are moments like that. They're good moments. But also the scripture says that the Spirit should come on us in certain times in such a way that we're like, oh my God, wow, he really loves me. He really is my father. He really does think this way about me. That's what the Spirit loves to do. Now, there are times we will have them when we don't feel this assurance. We certainly don't feel it in the way that we want to. It's a relationship that we're in, and relationships involve emotions, and emotions go up and down. And in our relationship, particularly with God, there are things that are mysteries, things that happen that we don't understand. And sin, when we sin, makes anything worse, and that includes this. Paul says also that there is a completion of our adoption still to come. He says in Romans 8, 23, he says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, We experience this now. Paul said, the Spirit is sent to us. We do cry, Abba, Father. And then just a few lines later, he says, also, we are groaning 
kind of like, oh, would this be fulfilled? Would this be completed, as it were? We're not waiting to be adopted, but Paul says there's something we're still waiting for that hasn't yet happened, won't happen until Jesus comes and renews all things. And so there are these things that make our assurance less than we would like it to be. There's also something, um, so I was just thinking about this, that everyone who's involved in, in foster care and adoption, they learn about this, and I think it can give us a bit of an insight into our relationship uh, with our Father God, actually. And it's called attachment theory. And basically, it says that children grow healthily, like physically, emotionally, socially, relationally. They grow healthily when they have secure parental relationships. When those relationships are in place, it can't even actually just be one, child grows really healthily and then is able to do well in the rest of life. So as um, Krish and Miriam Kandai describe it in their book, Home for Good, Making a Difference for Vulnerable Children, they say this relational bonding that takes place between parent and child is vital for a child's sense of well-being, and we might also add in thus healthy development. Over time, it is built by shared experiences, smiles, eye contact, sharing emotions, taking pleasure in the child, giving praise, setting boundaries, and coming through with what is promised. Most children take these foundational building blocks for granted. Most children in care need additional help to rebuild these missing connections. So you might never have had to think about that because it just happened to you. Or you might be really aware of some of those things not happening to you. So if that's going on, we shouldn't be surprised that our sense of attachment to God may feel a bit changeable. Because we began life away from him, away from his perfect care. And we still have habits of doubt and we do things that distance us from him, if not from his love. We can't do anything that separates us from his love. But we do things that take us away from him. And then we thought, I don't feel as assured of his love. It's like, well, we've done some things that haven't helped to that. Like I said, we're still waiting for Jesus to make everything new. And it takes time to build these bonds with him. It also takes faith because we don't see him. So we're believing that he's doing these things. But as we reflect on his care for us, the experiences that we've shared with him, the sense of his presence that we have and the experience and knowledge of his pleasure in us, as we learn to respect and value the boundaries that he set for us and we see his faithfulness again and again and again, our attachment to him and assurance of his love for us will grow. Well, that theory says healthy children need, a lot of it looks like well, it's pretty similar to a healthy follower of Jesus. Now, it is absolutely not the limit of how God relates to us as father or how we grow in our relationship with him. So there is like, there's no developmental equivalent of being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't happen. So God is just so much freer. And yeah, he, is, he just fathers in a whole different way to anyone else. Fatherhood isn't how we understand God. God's how we understand fatherhood. But there's some elements of that that can just be helpful when you're just feeling not as assured as you, as you want to. Some of that can just help you understand. Maybe this is what's partly going on. I need to take that to God and speak with him about that. And actually, you'll find him faithful and caring and loving again and again. And that will help you. So we're to feel assured, and we're to know that we have access. These two do kind of really overlap a lot, but I've separated them because, you know, otherwise it'd just be a really long point. I don't know. Um, We have access. It is not enough for God's great heart that he rescue us from judgment. 
which is incredible, which is amazing, because like, yes, that is wonderful. We're going to look at it later on in this series. It is to be cherished. It is to be praised. But it's not enough. It's not the limit of God's ambition for us and him. He wants us in his family. He loves it that we are in with him. That is a cause of delight and joy to him. Now, it's what adoption is. It, it brings in. And God, by identifying what he has done for us as adoption, says, that's what I'm doing. To be adopted is to be brought into God's community of eternal, perfect love. That is what he is doing for us. The delight that the Father has for the Son is now shared with us. We have been brought into that relationship. We're not just to observe it and be like, wow, that's really amazing. We are participating in it. And you think, how does God do that? How can God feel? How can God take that incredible, eternal, glorious, faultless love that he has had for his son since like before time even existed and then have that for millions upon millions and billions upon billions of people? How can he do that? Because his love is so wide and so deep and so limitless. You did not receive the spirit, Paul says, of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Slaves, in Paul's understanding, they creep around in fear of their master. They make sure they speak very, very carefully, don't want to say anything wrong. They don't dare come close unless they're called. And Paul says, children, run right in and say, Father! It's not that God has become less holy or less great to accommodate us in some way. It's like, well, I need to just become, you know, that's not what's happened. Rather, he has raised our status to that of his eternal son. He's treating us like he treats Jesus. He's relating to us like he relates to Jesus. There are obviously some differences in that relationship. But that's what Paul's saying here. Let's just look at a couple more ways of this to kind of really try and get it. So Western cultures like ours are primarily meritocracies, at least they're supposed to be. It's what you know that counts, not who you know. And so technically anyone with the ability can rise to any role, you know, by and large. And this is really good in almost every way. But it isn't the world that the New Testament's written in. And in those cultures, as elsewhere in the world today, maybe the the culture that you're from, it's who you know that really is the key. The New Testament repeatedly tells us that our access to God is not about what we know. It's not about what we've done. It's about who we know. The issue is, do you know Jesus? Because Jesus had perfect access to God, and he has now made that available to any who will put their faith in him. I'm the way and the truth and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that, if you're a Christian, is your confidence. That you're not like, I have done this. I know that. 
Like, no, he's done this. He knows that. And I'm with him. And so Hebrews 4 says, we approach God's throne with confidence. God's throne also describes as God who um, dwells in inapproachable, inapproachable light. He's incredible. People can't see him and live. And now we're told we approach that throne with confidence. How is that possible? Because Jesus has done that. Jesus has always done that. And he's now brought us through into that as well. And so we may address God the Father as Jesus does. We can speak to him at any time. We can ask him anything. We can talk about anything. We can know his joyful love and we can call him Abba. Abba was a Hebrew word that Jews used for their father. They started when they were small. Obviously, Abba is a very easy thing to say. But also, even when they were older, it was still a way of expressing uh, their, their affection and their intimacy. Now, we have no real evidence, I don't think, that this word was commonly used for God before Jesus came and did so. But he did. And by doing so, he transformed our understanding of how we can relate to God. And he brings us into what has always been the heart of God. So Christ is sharing with all his people the relationship that he has with his Father. And he's sending his Spirit to do this. That's why we can cry, Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. How we pray is a good way of knowing whether or not we've got hold of this. There are all sorts of ways that Christians can address God. And rightly so, all sorts of prayers in the Bible, we can read them and say, yep, that's a good prayer, I like that prayer. When Jesus gave us a model for praying, he began our Father. And that shapes our heart. It shapes our expectations as we pray. And it allows us to enjoy the kind of relationship with God that he wants us to have. God has many names and many titles. We, we can and should use all of them to address him. But this is the defining one. He's our father. My children can make demands of me that no other children can. And we've taught them to be confident in that. Obviously, sometimes that's annoying because I'm sinful and I'm selfish and I get tired. I get tired. I get tired of their requests. And our heavenly father is not like that. Ever. He is always pleased to see us. He never answers us harshly. He always gives us what is best for us. And it's because that we know him as our father that we can have this confidence. So that frames our understanding of of what's happening and and how he's treating us. We don't think, is this what a father would do? Okay, no, this is my father at work. We have access to God in prayer. We also have access to him in worship. And this is why we spend so much time at King's singing about him and and, and praising him and, and celebrating because it is our right and privilege to do this. Other people can't do it. Other people are going to sing about footballers today or they're going to sing about people who don't love them today or other things like that. We're going to sing about the creator of the universe who has adopted us into his family and poured out his spirit upon us. That is amazing. That is such a wonderful privilege. I really want to encourage you. Don't forsake this. 
I know how hard it is to get here on time. Trust me, I know. But I'm getting here, not just because, you know, I'm paid, I ought to be here on time, but because I want to sing to him. Because I want to sing, I want others to help me to sing, I want to sing together because I want to celebrate that we're part of this incredible family. This is, the singing isn't something we do before something really important happens. It is what we are to do as his children. Now I know almost no one here is likely to have ever sung to their earthly father. That's fine. Again, we learn about, you know, fathering from God, not God from fathering. Okay, but this is part of what we do because we see him and we're amazed by him and we love him. And that said so helpfully, the tongue is a rudder that directs us. So when we pray and when we praise by ourselves and with others, if we are saying, Father, again and again, if we are saying, Father, I just need to ask you this. Father, I just want to talk to you about this. Father, I don't understand. Father, you're wonderful. Father, you're incredible. Father, you've done all these wonderful things. We are changing our understanding and we're becoming more and more assured of who God is and more and more aware of our access that he's granting us. Really want to encourage you to do that. So we have assurance. We have access. We're also called to act. I hope that some of the things I've said have kind of made your mind think, that sounds really good. I hope there's something that's stirred you in that way. If it hasn't, well, here's the last go. Paul says you're a co-heir with Christ if you're a Christian. A co-heir with Christ. So that means that all that is Christ's, is going to be yours. Psalm 2, the father says to the son, ask of me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Okay, so you're saying everything. There's a song to Jesus in Revelation 5, you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. (laughs) Jesus shall reign on the earth. No. The New Testament says it again and again. You, we, shall reign on the earth because that's what we've always been meant to do. Genesis 1, 28, God says to us, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Those who are adopted into God's family will do this. It is their heritage, their inheritance. It's it's not ruling in this kind of domineering, selfish way that we're used to seeing. But it is the nurturing, cherishing, careful, loving rule of God that leads to flourishing and fruitfulness and fulfilment. That's what God has called us for. It's what he's called us to do. Because we're his children for whom he's preparing this inheritance, he also needs to prepare us for that inheritance. And so he entrusts people to us and things to us that we might care for them. And there's a caring in and of the thing and of itself, but there is also a sense in which this is preparatory. This is God getting us ready. Aren't there stories that Jesus tells where the master says, you've been faithful with a little, now you're going to be faithful. I will give you much to be faithful with. Jesus says that is about us being brought into his kingdom. I'll give you a little now. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to teach you how to be faithful with it because I've got some really big things for you to do later on. 
And in our heads, we think maybe when I'm 30 or 40 or now that I'm older than that, maybe when I'm 60, we're like, maybe there'll be a grand thing that God wants us to do. So there's an eternity of grand, massive things he wants us to do because he wants us to rule all things with him. So this is, this is something that God wants us to do. So we're to take responsibility. That's, again, what Roman adoption was about. It was saying, this one is going to take responsibility. And God has put things in you, and when he makes you a new creation, he renews those things, and he even puts new things in you that will do other people and other parts of creation good when you do those things. When we use the things that he's given us in a way that he wants, we are doing good and we are preparing for something. And that's part of learning obedience. We're not, we're not fearful slaves. Again, in the parable of the talents, one of them is like, I'm not going to do anything with what God's given me because I'm scared of him. And God says, no, that's wrong. Confident children say, okay, let's give it a go. That's what God wants us to do. And as we do this, as we work with him, we will increasingly bear his likeness. We will become more and more like the members of the family we are. And that will enable us to be fitting co-rulers with Jesus. Like any caring father, God disciplines his children to teach them what's good and what's evil, what are the right ways to live and what are not. And Again, often like earthly parenting, it starts with, I'm just telling you, just telling you. But the reason I'm telling you is so that you get it in you. And the more you get it in you, the more I'm not going to need to tell you because you're then going to know. And more than just know, you're going to know the difference between good and bad because you know the difference between what tastes good and what tastes bad. And you will grow discernment in that. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit, again, to help us with this, to transform us in this way through the word that he breathes out, through the church family that he puts us in, through the experiences we come through. In all of these things, we're told the Spirit is growing the fruits of godly character in us. He makes us more loving, like Jesus. He makes us more good, like Jesus, more faithful like Jesus, so that we will be fit to rule with Jesus. The end goal isn't simply to do the right thing. It is to reign over all things. And I know we don't talk a lot about that, and I think partly because there's a lot of mystery in what that actually looks like. So I can feel you chewing it over once you start looking at this and realizing it's in the New Testament, you're going to see it everywhere. And so it is God's will for our lives. He's brought you in that you might do that. Final way before we finish in which God prepares us to inherit. Lots of good news. This is good news. Also, can't avoid that last line. He prepares us to inherit by taking us along the route that Jesus took. Children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Amazing, not sure what it means, but I'm here for it. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Why does that matter? Because that's sonship. Because the path of sonship that Jesus took was to suffer, that he might be glorified. 
when we say we're going to follow Jesus, he really means it. And he wants to take us through that. And suffering naturally can make us doubt God's love and his care. But you know, the one time when the Gospels actually record Jesus using the word Abba, Father, usually it just translates the Greek, the Greek word Father, but once it has him using that original Aramaic word, Abba. Do you know where he is? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's just pleading. He's saying, is there any other way that we can save all these people and bring them into our family that won't involve the horrors that I'm about to go through on the cross? Abba, Father, is there any other way? And there isn't. And so he goes. We will not ever face an agony like that because Jesus has faced it for us and has triumphed over it. But we may go through experiences that cause us to say, Abba, Father, could you just stop? Why is this happening? If we know that we're adopted at that moment, it will make a lot of difference because we will be assured that we are still being loved because he set that on us. It will assure us that we still have access to God because Jesus has made that way and none can block it. And it will even give us some faith, maybe very little in the moment, but enough that these, even these things that are happening are part of a story with an ending so eternally loving and happy that it transforms everything before it. God has chosen us. He has changed who we are. He has brought us into his family forever. And so, Paul says, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, how good's that? The eternal love of God, the love that he has for his perfect son, offered to you. Nothing less than that. Achieved for you, a way made, arms opened for you to come in. Certainty of who you are, certainty in how you relate to God, purpose to all the things of your life right now. Only the good news of a good father can give us this. And the good news is, he wants to. Any of us can enjoy this today if we ask him. I'm just inviting the Holy Spirit to to come amongst us noticeably and continue the work that he's been doing. You just ask him to help you. You can even say, Abba Father, would you send your spirit that I might cry, Abba Father? Just receive his love. He shares it with us in so many ways, but this is one of them. That he just falls upon us. We're aware of him 
and aware of his love. Abba Father, we long to know these things more than we currently do. We know that one day we will know them perfectly and we groan and eagerly await that moment. But we believe that now you'll send your spirit, that now what you have declared, what you have achieved, what you have done, we can experience it, live in the good of it. So we ask you to help us with that. Lord, where we feel doubts, where we feel distant, where we've distrusted you and gone our own way, forgive us. Forgive us, God. You are our good Father. You've done so much for us. You've done everything. Help us to know that and be assured. Help us to make the most of the access we have. And Lord, help us to act accordingly. Amen.